welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast Special Edition number 25. Curb, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Well, you know, I'm over the moon, right? Well, you should uh, be. You should you, be. We've got uh, we've got a special edition today where we're actually doing an interview, and I took a delivery of a certain car today, which was nice. Really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. A petrol-based uh, car. What's that? A petrol-powered car. Petrol-based car. Petrol-based car. So, uh, audience, uh, upcoming, and it's it's uh, and forgive me on the beginning of it, it's going to be a little jagged because the, the recording got um, got st- stuck uh, a little bit at the very beginning. So we're going to kind of hit it in uh, uh, ugly, but uh, anyways. Uh, forgive me for for that, but uh, we've got a interview with uh, Jack Benyon, who is the indie on the IndyCar circuit for TheRace.com. Uh, Jack's based in the UK and had some pretty interesting insights, didn't you think, Curb? I thought so. Seemed very well informed. Seemed uh, uh, to really enjoy IndyCar and enjoy covering it, and um, adds a, a a solid new voice to the IndyCar. Uh, you know, community. I agree. So it's also not, not his comments, not nearly as interesting, uh, of course, as, as you uh, pronouncing uh, Roman Grosjean's name as Roman Grosjean, um, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I, was a, I was on the fly. I should have practiced that one. Before the- <laughs> which I found particularly uh, humorous, yeah, but it keeps, um, it keeps it sounding authentic here as Midwestern <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, podcasters. You're, uh, you're definitely putting your uh, putting yourself out there. Um, anyways, but uh, without further ado, here is the interview. So tell me, um, I mean, is there a hole it, with the race? Is there a is there a hole in the market you guys see that you're kind of filling? Because um, I'm, I, you know, I kind of marvel at you know when I see some of these other sites and so forth, and I'm just. I, and I quit, you know, I just questioned like the, the viability of the business kind of thing for such a niche uh, market. And I, I, is there is there some place where you guys see you fitting different to some of the other, you know, more uh, you know websites that are out there? I think uh, I think on an, on on the F1 side of things, we've got, um, you know, some real standout journalists with, uh, you know, big names, people like Mark Hughes and, and Ed Straw and, and Scott Mitchell, people who, you um, you know, people who have built up their own brands in a way and uh, are really recognizable names and, and people who, um, you know, we've kind of brought together to to kind of just bring a, a fresh approach to things. And, you know, we just felt there was, a you know, an opportunity there to to bring some real fresh content to the market, whether that's uh, features and, and written content or or podcast videos. Um, and, and our focus on esports as well has, has been a big uh, kind of a big thing. But, you know, it's we've um, I think we've brought some you know a bit of a fresh approach to things and um you know just try and do things um the way we hope our, our readership want to to see them presented and you know whether that's uh you know digging into things and, and being a bit more analytical than than maybe some of the other sites out there can be or, or want to be um you know that's a, a big opportunity for us or whether it's just presenting the the news as it is but i think um you know the the guys who started the race saw an opportunity there that um 
you know worked for a you know different uh, businesses in motorsport for a for a long time and, and just felt that coming together as uh, as a unit was an opportunity to to bring something new and uh, yeah i think um i think what we've produced so far is uh, is a sign of that and uh, yeah hopefully everyone's enjoying uh, what we've managed to uh, put on the table so far are you just being nice or are you saying that the uh, journalism on the other websites is rubbish no no not at all not at all um you know every every website has their own way of doing things and yeah you know i i'll be quite frank and say that you know there is some bad journalism done out there and i just think um you know was coming together as um you know i've said it a few times now already just brought some fresh ideas to the table and, and try and do something a little bit different and just try and approach things in a way that you know we think um you know people actually want to um you know read things and and sort of uh, digest our content what about you, Curb? Do you think there's some other journalist, uh, journalistic rubbish out there? <laughs> well, certainly here in the United States. I don't know about over in uh, Europe. But I'm, I'm curious. You know, Jay said that racing is a niche sport. And I guess from where the race is coming from, certainly Formula One's not a niche sport, certainly not over in Europe. And um, IndyCar is certainly a niche sport. Is it? Is it something that people in Europe or in England are, are wanting to hear about? I think so. And, um, you know, I think recently, especially we've had um, obviously uh, uh, a bit of an influx from from Europe and uh, in Felix Rosenquist and, and Marcus Ericsson. And, you know, if you speak to those guys, they'll tell you that, you know, um, IndyCar is bigger than Formula One in, in Sweden now. So there's uh, there's certain countries where you've got drivers coming into IndyCar that are, you know, really raising the profile. Obviously, I think, you know, IndyCar is still obviously predominantly North America and, um, you know, the the teams and you know you might get drivers coming in from europe and, and from different areas but fundamentally the championships north america and that's where the sponsorship comes from in in most cases and you know that's where the the business aspect of the championships championship is fundamentally so um you know obviously the indy 500 is a big draw for everybody in europe and um you know it's such a special event and there's such a you know a kind of um, such, such an atmosphere around the Indy 500, even if, even if you're not there, that, that is just kind of, um, you can, it's tangible, even though you're not there and you're not actually feeling the experience, you know, you can actually enjoy the Indy 500 from a distance and, and feel like you're, you're part of it. And that's one of the great things about that event. So I think things kind of spiral from there when it comes to Europe and, and people enjoying IndyCar. I think it's, uh, uh, it starts with the 500 and, and people uh, pick up interest from there, but you know, there's so many good drivers. The standard is so good at the moment in terms of, um, in terms of the drivers at the front the championship and, and all the way through the field really and with the with a spec chassis it keeps things interesting keeps things uh, you know relatively even and good balance between finding the best driver in in, in the best car with the equal equipment and also um, mixing things up with a format so you know it's not completely entertainment format it's um, you know it's got entertaining aspects to it but also it's it, it satisfies the the purest view of you know, wanting to see the fastest driver in, in the fastest car win the race. So, you know, it's uh, it's a good mix. And I think the I think IndyCar have put together a really good package at the moment. It's uh, it's working well. And I think anyone, not just Europe or, or North America, I think anyone who likes motor racing will tune in and, and enjoy the races. That's uh, that's the big thing for IndyCar is just getting eyes on the on the series. I'm uh, always very keen to hear feedback of, of what we're doing over at the race and hopeful that we can, you know, make some inroads into into the American market and I was actually in St. Pete in uh, in March uh, before. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I um I spent a nice 48 hours from uh, airport to hotel to airport when I found out I wasn't going to be uh, getting into the track, and then obviously the race was cancelled. So that was a bad start to the year for me, and uh, what should have been uh, at least seven or eight IndyCar rounds in in the season, and obviously that's not happened. But does you know uh, I'm sure you uh, you're familiar with Robin Miller's mailbag and other 
traditional American outlets here covering IndyCar. Um, it seems like every year there's letters over the winter complaining about TV coverage in foreign markets, including Europe, Canada, and so on. Is the TV coverage that bad over there, or is it uh, um, a matter of there's not enough interest to merit good TV coverage? Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's um, it's always the uh, well, it always seems like the negative voices are the loudest ones, right? So sure. you kind of uh, you hear different stories and things, but in in the UK specifically, we have um, we have a channel called Sky Sports F1, and and they obviously predominantly cover Formula One, but also show the IndyCar races. Um, there's been some kind of I'd say it's probably been some negativity to, to their coverage over the course of the year in, in various uh, various points. Um, you know, St. Pete, it cut away at one point. Um, and that's often the case in Europe. There's, oft, there's, there's usually conflicting, you know, uh, look at and it's quite difficult to, you know, put all that together. And with cautions and, and things um, delaying IndyCar races, it's not always easy to kind of pick an exact TV slot that works for, you know, for, for, a, for a channel. And the, the channels aren't necessarily always thinking about IndyCar. They're thinking about the, you know, trying to slot all their programming in and, and trying to be equal between, you know, different championships. So the they kind of the world feed that IndyCar offers is usually just a race or the race and qualifying and doesn't usually involve practice. So the biggest uh, complaints are usually either that IndyCar isn't showing practice um, in, in Europe or that, like the race is cut away at various points to different coverage or, or to different programming. So there's um, there's definitely things over here that aren't perfect about IndyCar coverage. But, you know, like I said earlier, I, I don't think that's the end of the world for IndyCar because it's still, you know, for me, it's still predominantly a North American series. And that's where it's um, that's where its focus should be at the moment. Tell me a little bit about uh, Formula E, you know, vis-a-vis IndyCar. Um, it was interesting to me. It's been reported that the guys in Formula E, you know, get paid more to drive those things than they do uh, in an IndyCar in general. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, from a driver's perspective, from what you're gathering over there, how is Formula E uh, perceived? And like, if you're a, a guy that's not going to make it into F1, you know, for, you know, the hundreds of reasons that you can't, um, it, how would how would a driver, in, in your view, perceive uh, Formula E versus IndyCar? I think um, with with Formula E, obviously, uh, it's very uh, not controversial series, but I think the fans either either love it or hate it. They they hate the idea of no you know very little sound or the or the kind of screechy sound that the cars make and um, you know the fact that they're not petrol driven and and that kind of thing. You know, some fans really hate that, but it's an interesting debate that's ongoing. But the thing with Formula E is it boasts, uh, you know, so much manufacturer input, which I don't think, apart from Formula One, any other motorsport championship in the world can can boast really in terms of, you know, how many and how much uh, money these manufacturers are putting in, and it's all the big car makers that you would uh, you would have expect to have seen in a motorsport championship maybe 30, 40 years ago in the in the golden days. So, um, you know, the the reason why uh, it's become such a destination so quickly is because the manufacturers are putting the money in. That's where the money is for these drivers who are who are forging a career away from Formula One. So it's become a very popular destination um, and and will continue to be so as long as uh, manufacturers are prioritising hybrid cars. For from from that aspect it's uh it's, it's extremely popular with drivers looking to to make some money uh, you know as well as uh, kind of uh, the sports car racing option that exists from what uh, antonio felix costa said when he tested the the indycar recently he's the reigning formula e champion and he was kind of blown away by the the performance of the indycar and there's there's absolutely no comparison between you know what a driver is going to feel driving a formula e car and, a, and an indycar you know the formula e cars are on road tires um they're, they're quite low power and heavy so 
um you know they're they're not the they're not the driver's car they're not the most fun thing to drive in the world and a driver will have a lot more fun driving an indy car with downforce and and proper slick tires than they would driving a formula e car but the the fact of the matter is at elite motorsport top level it's always going to be driven by the manufacturers and, and what what they want and at the moment that's hybrid and that's and that's formula e and that's obviously something indycar have looked at and addressed and, and started to to pivot towards in the future as well yeah I saw your article at DaCosta, and I, 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 that's kind of what brought this to mind. And, and you know, I'm just – I guess I'm trying to, to look at these things and say, okay, if you're, a, if you're a guy that's in that, you know, IndyCar or Formula E, you almost have to go to Formula E to put the groceries on the table, I assume. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, you know, that's a, a good way of looking at it. And it, at the end of the day, these drivers who, who are competing year-round – you know, unless they've got extremely um, wealthy families or, or, or wealthy businesses, then they're, they're forced into, uh, you know, finding a way to, to make some money. And that's, you know, Formula E, GT racing is uh, is the place for them to do that. But, you know, IndyCar is not completely ruled out of that equation. There's still some paid rides and some opportunities where there's there's sponsorship money on the table. Obviously, it's not the whole field and probably, uh, well, it's nowhere near as much as, as would be on offer in, in Formula E or in a top GT championship. But, you know, it's um, in, IndyCar is not competing with Formula E, I don't think, at this stage. And you know, with the with that with that hybrid technology coming in in the future, you know, hopefully IndyCar are able to attract a, another manufacturer. I'm still quietly positive. I think that there's a opportunities there to bring in a, a third manufacturer, but you know, I think it's a very important thing for IndyCar to do and something that it's got to focus on. And I think that's the next big topic of, of conversation for IndyCar is attracting that third manufacturer. And there's going to be a lot of um pr noise if you like um about the positivity towards actually achieving that but it's something that that really does need to be achieved and, and something that needs to happen for the future of the series i think so jack you're over there closer to europe is there either roger penske or mark miles recently still insisted that ferrari was taking this seriously do you think that's true uh, I think the the interest from ferrari has tailed away recently um from from my understanding i think um i don't think the as a burnt bridge or, or anything like that. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a case of Ferrari looking at IndyCar and actually um, you know deciding that the formula is wrong or that IndyCar has done anything wrong. Um, I just think Ferrari are kind of prioritising Formula One and and what needs to be done there over the next few years. I think from my understanding the way things are at the moment, I don't think Ferrari is going to be that third manufacturer and I, I can't see them coming in as things stand. Um, and and this is part of uh, a much bigger problem that motorsports going to face over the next few years with the with the implications of the coronavirus and how that impacts the the kind of world markets and the the world economy. So I just think um, I just think in the in the certain in the circumstances um, from from what I understand, I don't think Ferrari are going to make that jump and and go to North America. There's there's too much for them to to put into this to make it. Um, you know, to make it an easy thing for them to do um, in, in, in the near future. So maybe it's a long term thing that Ferrari will, will you know, revisit and, and look at. And, you know, by no means I am not um, on the board of Ferrari and can't tell you for absolute certain that they're definitely not going to do it. But it's just my understanding of where the teams are at the moment. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing them in IndyCar anytime too soon. That one never made a tremendous amount of sense to me, to be honest, on many, many levels. Not the least of which, you know, they got their own priorities in F1 that they need to deal with. 
So. I think the I think the initial opportunity came when um, obviously the, the the budget cap came in in Formula One and it meant Ferrari would need to redistribute some of its staff. So um, you know in that sense, um, dedicating those staff to a racing program makes perfect sense because you don't want to lay these people off the long time or value Ferrari employees that they don't want to um, you know just cast aside and and maybe uh, training for the future or, or valuable to their kind of future programs. So I think um, you know all three of the top Formula One manufacturers. Um, once it was clear that there was going to be a budget cap, were very keen to to keep people they knew they were going to have to kind of replace or, or move aside. So they've all kind of looked at at different ways of doing things. And and you know Ferrari may actually go down the the World Endurance Championship route instead of the IndyCar route. Who knows? But um, I don't think this is just a story that's been plucked um, out of nowhere by, uh, for example, like by IndyCar from a from a for a PR perspective or, or anything like that. I think there was genuine interest and genuine talks there between the two. I just think from from my understanding of how things are developing, it's not been something that um, you know the two have been able to to agree on or, or Ferrari hasn't um, you know finally made that decision. And it's kind of, you know we've we've seen this kind of thing with Ferrari before. They 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 quite often publicise that they're going to do something or or they're interested in doing something and never actually get to it. I don't think there's anything sinister there in terms of Ferrari uh, misleading IndyCar or anything like that. But, you know, I think Ferrari were just investigating its options and it turns out that it's not the right thing for them at this current time. But, you know, who knows in the future? So, Jack, if uh, Ferrari's not likely to make the jump to IndyCar, what about some of these F1 refugees like Kevin Magnussen or Roman Grosjean or so on? It's uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of uh, thing. And we, we've discussed it recently on the race, actually, about, um, you know, what happens when Formula One drivers kind of, are announced as leaving their teams or um you know moving on and i think they they, they immediately kind of um almost like a rabbit in the headlights situation kind of say oh well you know i could go and do indycar i could don't i can go and do uh i can go and do the world endurance championship i can go and do formula e and then they learn very quickly that um they're not going to pay get paid uh, 10 million dollars a year to uh yeah. to go and do what to, to go and do whatever they want so um you know not saying the drivers are naive but i think that it's just always the initial reaction of a Formula One driver is to say, you know, there's all these other championships out there I can go and do. And then when they actually look into it, it's a lot more difficult than than they might expect. And I think the most likely one would have been Sergio Perez because he brings the the back in from Mexico and, you know, he can circumvent the issues that Grosjean or Magnussen will, will have had with IndyCar in that they would have needed to bring budget to um, make that happen at this late stage in the season. So, you know, it's how this these kind of things play out, right? So, the, the Formula One drivers don't find out until the kind of end of the season in Formula One that they're, um, you know, that they're going to be laid off. And then they're kind of scurrying to, to find another drive and they'll look at IndyCar. But IndyCar have been, you know, the big teams have been working for months already on, you know, attracting the budget for a certain driver that they've got in mind for, for their car. And they can't just, you know, throw that out the window, um, you know, six months of working on a sponsor or working on a, um, a partner to to go with one driver and then suddenly um, oh this this hot shot from Formula One's available um, we're just going to throw him and instead it doesn't really work like that and there's so few kind of paid IndyCar seats or or partly paid IndyCar seats that come up every season that there's really just not the room for for these guys to to wiggle around with the thing with Perez is you know he brings the budget where he could have at least part funded a, a an IndyCar in- entry at a top team and that's the other thing if the if the if the backed seats let's say if the paid for seats um are at the are at the top of the ladder then your likes of Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen are not going to want to come into IndyCar um having 
you know been pottering around the midfield in Formula One for for 10 years or or whatever not winning a race since their junior career and then go into a seat in IndyCar that isn't going to win or is going to be uncompetitive and they're going to you know uh, paddle around at the back of the grid in, in IndyCar for another 10 years it's not these guys aren't programmed that way so there's often just so little time to for, for someone like Grosjean or Magnussen the budget they would bring would be from Europe and that's not going to be you know European brands aren't going to be necessarily um, selling things in, in North America or interested in the IndyCar market from from that perspective because they don't race in Europe or, or outside of North America cool. um, for, for, for IndyCar to actually uh, make well the IndyCar teams to, to make it work with the, with the Formula One driver who's leaving. Yeah, I, uh, using uh, Grosjean as an example, I mean, uh, I think that's kind of classic in a lot of ways, right? And, and, and you know, so my question to you is, you know, I agree that that you know, what if he's not bringing money here, you know, and he's used to being paid a lot of money? Do, do you th- let's just say all the stars aligned and the money was there, and he got you know, and, and he got on a good team in IndyCar? I do you think he shows up and just starts dominating? You know, I mean, is he just one of the pack? I don't think anyone shows up and dominates an IndyCar anymore, to be honest. Um, you know, I think the standard is is so high and there's so much to learn. You know, if we're going back to 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 Europe, I mean, you know, Felix Rosenquist is just so highly rated here for for his junior single seater career and some of the people he was able to beat across, you know, that junior single seater career. And and the problem with Felix was always that you know he didn't quite have that level of budget needed to to make that next step or, or things just didn't quite align for him at the right time for him to, to make that jump to Formula One. Even if you don't think he was good enough for Formula One, then there's no doubt in he's, he's that just just that one step below, if you like. But, you know, an absolutely uh, phenomenal talent. And, you know, he's had, you know, a pretty tricky time of it. I mean, his, his, his rookie season was good and obviously finished, you know, only two places behind Scott Dixon, which is, um, you know, it felt like he was closer than many of Dixon's teammates since Dario Franchitti, really. But then the, the, the follow-up year this season has been really weird for, for Felix. Obviously, he got that first win at Road America, which was you know, a massive result for for him and, and something he'd be working on for, for so long because, you know, in his first season, he had that level of consistency all the way through the year and was, well, not all the way through the year, but most of the year he was, he was consistent, scoring big points and, and doing a good job with a, you know, a very strong teammate. And then if you look at this season, he's, he's, he's found it very difficult and really, really difficult to match that form. It's just IndyCar is just such a, a crazy championship, one that is so entertaining to watch and, and so brilliant. But, you know, everything's got to be right for you to win a championship. That's what makes Joseph Newgard right. and Scott Dixon the likes of, you know, so impressive is that they're able to string these years together, you know, year on year regularly. And I think it will take any time for a driver to come in, um, you know, even someone of Roman Grosjean standards. You know, I know he's got reputation for crashing a lot, but, you know, his, his upside and his... You know, his, um, he's got that last 10%. He's a, there's no doubt when, when he's on it, he's a phenomenal driver. So even him coming in, I, I don't think, I still think there's too much to learn in IndyCar that you come in and start winning races straight away. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a really difficult championship and Rosenquist and, and, and Rossi from this season are, are perfect examples of that. Well, Mansell did it, I guess, but that was a long time ago. Um, I guess... I was I was born in the year that Mansell did that. You can't throw that oh, one out. Yeah, don't, yeah, well... Kerb and I saw it. We saw it in the flesh, as we can say. But um, I guess the question I, I have for you, Jack, I mean, I know we're uh, talking about IndyCar, but I'm just – how do we know how good a Grosjean or a Magnuson or a Hulkenberg or any of these guys are that haven't, as you pointed out, won anything in, in 10 years because they've been on the wrong team in Formula One? How do we know how any of how good any of those guys are? 
it's it's really tough and there's no um there's no straightforward way of um you know giving you a direct answer to that question because it's it's you know it's pretty much impossible the, the best thing you can do is compare them to their teammates and um you know Grosjean and Magnussen um you, you kind of wish they had different teammates right because they're just so uh they're so peaky those two and um you know capable of great things but also capable of kind of you know mind-blowing um you know disappointments as well um it's 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 really difficult to to kind of say exactly how good they are and, and what do you compare them against i mean uh, do you compare them against lewis hamilton who you know in, in my opinion is is the best formula one driver of all time but also has had the benefit of having the best car for so long and you know those guys have, have, have never driven the merc and have, have never had that opportunity to to run at the front and really show their their full potential it's it's, it's just a it's, it's an impossible equation i think anyone who's reached formula one you know following the drivers you mentioned their, their junior single seater, seater careers were, were pretty incredible and they've all had brilliant seasons and, and standout performances it's 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 really it comes down to analyzing what they got out of the car and you know how well they did against their teammate in in the same machinery because as we know formula one is not indycar in the sense of um you know the cars are just so so much more different and you know obviously there's a variance between your you know your your ganassi your andretti and, and your penske up front and and the guys kind of uh further back but you know formula one it's so much more graduated in the sense of the the cars being different and you know these guys are you know, you only have to look at them going to new tracks this year and, and what they've been able to do sort of immediately, um, you know, how good they are and, and, and what they're able to achieve. And they're all, you know, pretty much within the same window as they were at a track they've been to 15 times. So, you know, they're, they're all absolute professionals and, and absolute pros, but difficult. It's, uh, it's, it's very subjective. Do you believe, I mean, obviously IndyCar drivers going to Formula One, there haven't been that many, for examples, in recent history, but the ones who have... Um, you know, Bourdais or, well, you know, my, I guess going back to Michael Andretti or, or Juan Pablo Montoya is probably the best, probably the guy who had the most success. If, uh, and um, Jacques Villeneuve. And Jacques Villeneuve. Thank you, Curb. Having uh, been around the, the IndyCar paddock, at least remotely, I mean, and, and your views on the matter, I mean, driver quality vis-a-vis Formula One, where, where do you put it? I know it's a difficult question to answer for all the reasons you just said, but just, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're really giving me a you're really giving me a hard time here, aren't you? You're getting your values worth out of uh, your your funny English guest today. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, you know, I think I really wish um. You know the the Formula One teams would just give a practice or or uh, you know just a test to the IndyCar champion uh, just to just from a personal point of view of how cool that would be to see how they would get on and and I think honestly they'd be surprised and you know the championships are just so different I mean I, I quite often think about Will Power as, as an example right because his qualifying performance is incredible right so if you put him in the in the Red Bull that Vettel won all the championships in, right? The formula there was that Vettel qualified on pole, um, you know, got the best out of the double diffuser and would would build up a gap outside of the DRS and then just kind of, you know, drive off into the distance because he, he, he'd built that gap to the DRS and, you know, he was better than than anybody else at, at qualifying. And I think willpower would be that way in, in Formula One if you if you put him in that Red Bull, you know, if you if you kind of compare in the, the types of driver, he's just so good at qualifying. But the reason he's been so kind of lackluster in the last few years is he just can't match that in a, in, a, in a race situation in most cases. And, you know, his qualifying performance is so much better than his race performance. 
you know that Formula One is a championship he would probably have been of uh, as a percentage a better driver but it's just they're just so different the championships um, in, in terms of what they need obviously the similarities are um, that the tyres play a massive role um, you know getting the best out of the tyres and I think the IndyCar is quite similar to F1 in the sense of you know all right F1's got different compounds and um, you know F1 has five compounds to, to IndyCar's two effectively you know getting the tyres into the right window and, and and learning how to get them into the right temperature range and that kind of thing is um, a big lesson for IndyCar drivers it's it's the same in Formula One in that sense it's one of the reasons IndyCar's been so unpredictable and, and so um, so brilliant this year really is is you know they're, they're, they're key factors but yeah I think I think this, the standard of the drivers at the top of the championship is phenomenal. I would really like to see those guys get a chance in a test just to try and impress a team and just to try and work out you know, where they're at compared to the, the Formula 1 drivers. Obviously, the, the racing is so different and the, the, the strategy is, 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 is pretty different as well. But the fundamental aspects of driving the car quickly remain and the guys who are able to to, to excel in IndyCar year on year on year on year you, you know your Dixons your New Gardens your, your Paginos your Powers and and Herter and Ross well Herter's getting into that equation with with his first two seasons and and, and Rossi as well you know those kind of guys you know are, are doing this week on week on week on week with the you know theoretically the same chassis as, as the other guys which is not something that's happening in Formula One it's been good to hear Zach Brown mention people like Colton Herter who aren't in 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 the Aaron McLaren SP team as uh you know people who would theoretically deserve an IndyCar shot. I think Newgarden and Herter were his, were the two that he mentioned ahead of uh, O'Ward and, and Askew at that time. So you know the I think the I think the teams do pay attention and they're they're motorsport fans at the end of the day as much as they are you know fulfilling their roles in in Formula One and I think they do look outside and and look what's going on. I don't know what it is why they don't really look at IndyCar as a a place to to kind of bring drivers in, but you know it'd be great to it'd be great to have that one test just to see how how, how good they really are. Sure. So the one top IndyCar driver that maybe has had that chance is is Rossi. Um, over here, the story is that he couldn't make it in F1 just because he didn't have the funding to make it. But he was over there for a long time in junior formula and I think in test driver roles and maybe on, I don't remember which lower back of the grid. Manor. Uh, Manor, okay. So, but based on what he did do over there in Europe, Jack, do you have an idea how he would stack up or rate? Yeah, I think he's a I think he's a top quality driver and and the the speed at which he adapted to IndyCar and he's he's really struggled this season for for a good half of the well three quarters of the year pretty much is is what we mentioned and something's clicked with the the Andretti guys um you know a few months ago um just before mid just before mid Ohio or the the round before um where they've they've really managed to to work the aero screen properly I think I think it's honestly I think um. From what I read in in the states and and the other publications that you mentioned earlier and, and things like that, I think the the impact of the aero screen has been so under underplayed. You know, it's, it's you, it, you it, shall say nothing negative about yeah, the aero sir. screen here in America. Yeah, right? hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, let's. I'm just gonna cut you off right there. If you're gonna start talking negative about the aero screen, that you can't do. Oh no, no, uh, that is that is just the most wonderful thing. To, it's already saved what ten lives this year, Curb? Probably at least. Yeah. At least. According I, to Paul I, Tracy, anyway. Wasn't even talking about the safety implications of the aero screen. No, I, we're, we're I just, actually, 
<laughs> I actually, I actually really, um, I actually really like what it's done in, in mixing up the order because it's given us, it's given us the biggest change to the to the actual performance of the car since the since the car came in really the current aerodynamic package. But you know, I think it's just been, I just think it's been completely underplayed how much the the added weight at the front of the car has impacted you know what these teams are doing because you know it's it's made uh, a lot of the setups from last year uh, irrelevant or at least um, in need of massive adaptation. And then we had the you know, not too much testing before the start of the season. Um, and then obviously the coronavirus thing has, um, you know, impacted mid-season testing and, and, and cost people uh, that, you know, that extra time to, to adapt. But, you know, some drivers have really, really struggled to to get to grips with the, you know, the added understeer that it adds kind of mid-corner and, uh, you know, really adapt their driving styles to it. And, you know, quite a few drivers have struggled with that and teams have struggled to to adapt their cars to that and Andretti were, were definitely one of them in terms of took them until the second half of the season to really um to really nail that and you know Colton Hurt was the the least kind of affected of the 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 group on that for the first half of the year pretty much but you know the the, the aero screen's really properly mixed things up and it's um really been something that the teams have, have had to adapt to but you know it looks like Rossi and, and Andretti have got on top of it in the in in the past few weekends obviously went on that brilliant podium scoring run and you know so unusual to see him make an error like he did at, at St. Pete um you know that was that was a real um you know, a, a real drop the ball moment really from him. And, you know, uh, I also, um, you can't afford to, to have what happened at the Indy 500 either. Um, you know, obviously the, the penalty didn't go his way and, you know, he was upset about that, but the, the crash afterwards was, was not how you bounce back from results like that. And that's what, um, you know, those kind of moments are what makes, uh, you know, the likes of Dixon, you know, so impressive, you know, Rossi is, um, you know, I don't think anyone's doubting his, his speed and, and his ability. I think, um, I think there's an element of truth to, to what you were saying as well about the about the funding in in Formula One. It's a it's an issue really. It's been um, less so in the past few years. Um, we've seen a little bit more involvement from the big teams in terms of bringing juniors through and, and stuff like that. But but definitely it was a big issue issue for Rossi trying to trying to force his way in and his his junior single seater career was good. Just reading from 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 what he said at the start of this season, I don't think it's interesting going back. I think he's found a home and. Uh, you know, he's found himself a career and, and this year he was, you know, voted the most popular driver. So, you know, he's found himself a nice kind of uh, a nice position in his career now to be in. Amazing that he was voted the most popular driver, don't you think, Kerb? <laughs> that was surprising. I think even to him, according to listening to him on his podcast, even he was surprised. <laughs> he's not exactly Mr. Personality. And he doesn't, uh, and he doesn't mind it either. <laughs> no, no, no. Can I stick with the European angle one more time here, Jack? Yeah, of course you can. You don't need to ask. So, um... Any idea what happened with Felix Rosenquist? It seems like I've heard many different theories on on why he left Ganassi or why Ganassi didn't bother to pick his option up and let him go. Yeah, I've heard all the stories too, and uh, yeah, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a right or wrong answer just now. I think um, elements of the story that we've not heard yet is elements of the story that that are true and not true. Um, it's it's a really difficult one to get to the bottom of, and I think um, I think we'll be hearing about this one maybe in a in a few months' time when people are a bit more relaxed and you know don't have their their backs up as much. But uh, yeah, you know I've heard that um, you know I've heard that Ganassi didn't offer him uh, another another year, but I've also heard that Felix made the decision without waiting for an offer from Ganassi. So yeah, you know I've heard all the stories too. Um, I'm I'm sure it's uh, a story that people want to hear the truth from, and it's one that you rarely find out immediately in the aftermath because the the parties involved are all protecting their own interests and and trying not to uh, not to annoy each other and uh, you know really burn any bridges. So I think we'll uh, I think we'll hear a bit more about that one in in the 
in the coming uh, weeks and months. But but you know all I know is from a if I spoke to Felix, um, when did I speak to Felix? Uh, just after Indianapolis, before St. Pete. Um, mm. And he said he was certain that his future would be sorted after St. Pete and that there was uh, that, that conversations hadn't happened yet. That's that's not mm. what he said in the aftermath of the, the McLaren move on the IndyCar media Zoom call. So, you know, I think we'll just have to uh, we'll just have to wait and see with that one. Like I said, I think it's one of those that, you know, there's. There's 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 different stories, there's different things at play, and uh, I think we'll we'll have to wait a few months for the for the full truth on that one. Did you hear the uh, rumor that he was signed up to go race Extreme E next year? No, I didn't. I've not heard that one yet. No, one one know-it-all podcaster so, told that one with great certainty on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I was, I was a little shocked sure to hear that one. Yeah, I'm not sure that was going to happen. <laughs> well, that's what he said. He said uh, that's that's true, Kirby. He did say that um, that you know he had a deal that he was about to make the jump, and then Arrow came in when they heard that and and signed him up. But that was uh, yeah, that was out there. Jack, have you? Uh, what's your comments on Danica Patrick saying that her next boyfriend is going to be held to a higher standard? <laughs> do you know what I'm going to do? What? Um what no journalist has ever done before and say no comment on that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've uh, taken enough of your time. Um, uh, any uh, prognosis, uh, anything you want to forecast for uh, 2021, Jack, in terms of, uh, you know, the IndyCar season and what, what any trends you've seen or something you think is going to be interesting to watch? I think as, as I mentioned earlier with the aero screen, it's caused so much uncertainty this year. I think, we should have, um, you know, most teams will have got six days of testing in before the start of next season, hopefully, and theoretically a bit more of a normal schedule, a bit more of a normal. Uh, the teams have had a season to to get used to the aero screen and 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 what it's, uh, you know, the havoc it's caused with their setups. So I think we're going to see, um, you know, the teams with uh, bigger budgets and um, the the top drivers um, be that little bit more clear. I think of the field. Um, uh, obviously, I'm not saying. It's going to be the top three teams walking away with it because that's not how IndyCar works, and we've, you know, we spent quite a fair chunk of the last uh, hour or so talking about that. But, you know, I think it, on on the face of things, I think the the top three teams will be stronger this year, and they'll they'll it'll, they'll take a bit more beating because Andretti's basically had a hand time behind it behind its back for for three quarters of this season, hasn't it? In in a sense, with with Rossi, um, you know, really struggling, and it's it's something that you know the top three teams should be able to turn things around for for next season and. Uh, you know, we might see a few less upset results. I'm not sure. You know, making predictions in IndyCar is like making predictions with the coronavirus, isn't it? It's uh, it's, it's absolutely pointless. The only thing I'll be able to tell you is Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon will be fighting for the championship come the end of next season. Wow, you really went out on a limb there. I'm actually ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself that you've asked me on this podcast to be, uh, you know, pioneering and, um, you know, interesting <laughs> and, and bringing... Bring in new and uh, new and different ways to look at things, and I've finished the podcast by telling you that Newgarden and Dixon are going to fight for the championship. Well, I, I can tell you, Jack, that um, I know over the summer I was looking for different outlets to to read that were covering IndyCar. Um, you know, the the small club of North American-based reporters that cover IndyCar do a good job, but I was looking for something different and found your website over the summer, and I really enjoyed uh, what you add to the to the marketplace in terms of IndyCar coverage. So keep up the good work. Appreciate that. I feel like that's too, I feel like it's too much of a nice way to finish the podcast. You have to, you have to abuse me in some way now and well, say, you, say something bad about me. You, you've been very patient with us and I think you need to be rewarded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Jack Benyon from the race.com. Uh, check it out. If you want to see some uh, uh, better than normal IndyCar journalism.
I guess. Wow. I'm, I'm blown away. There you go. I've definitely got plans to be uh, doing a few road trips next year and, and doing, you know, well over half the calendar. So that's definitely the plan. And, you know, if things come together and this uh, so-called uh, vaccine arrives in time, then then maybe things are going to look good for next year and, and that's going to be possible. But if not, I'll I'll delay it till 2022 and I'll, I'll see you there then. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll uh, buy you a beer at some of the races. <laughs> I'll buy you one too. Thanks very much, guys. All right. Yeah, thank, thank you, Jack. Jack. All right, so that was the interview with uh, Jack Benyon. Uh, Curb, what did you think? How'd it go? Uh, really enjoyed the time Jack uh, was able to spend with us. Um, brought some interesting insights from across the pond that uh, maybe we don't get on this side of uh, the Atlantic. And uh, this, you know, folks that have been here living IndyCar our whole lives and thinking about it in a certain way, uh, nice to get a different perspective. Didn't want to take on Danica Patrick, did he? Probably smart not to do so. He's got, unlike us, he has a career in motorsports to worry about. (laughs) And I, you know, let's face it, she's probably pretty vindictive. It's one thing to be critical of her from the safety of my basement here. But uh, if uh, (laughs) he's got to go out there and face her, so I don't blame him for being uh, a little smarter about that. Face her. She's about Uh, (laughs) 4-1. I don't think I'd want to take her on. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, Curb, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, mention of the sponsors, uh, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts, Neologic Beer. Can't get any more environmental than Neologic. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a good week.